It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live, Psy Tech Talk, taking the God story to a geeky place. Here's Michelle. Hey, thanks for joining in SciTech Talk, a service of my Michelle Live. Delighted to be hanging out with you and talking geeky stuff, but doing it as we always do, looking for the God story. If there's a God, what's he doing in all this? Can we see signs or evidence of him? And what? does he expect of you and I? So on this SciTech talk, wow, we're getting into some really cool stuff. I, I am so thrilled, especially when we think of the God story. So you can think of the Bible as a spiritual book, right? The golden rule, love one another and nice spiritual ideas that can just get you through life. And you can think of the Bible as a book of science. What? Yeah. We talk about it all the time. It describes the earth and space. It goes beyond the settled science of its writing. Precision of movements in the universe. Uniqueness of stars, uh, fluid dynamics, biogenesis, hydrologic cycles. The Bible talks about these things in t- in a way that defies the known science of its time. What about the Bible as history? There's been some historical things that we've been able to glean from the Bible, but what about archaeology in particular? Because when you think about some of the crazy stories, outlandish, you could say, in the Bible, worldwide flood that preserves the animal kingdom, sea parting and people walking across on dry land, people being raised from the dead, These even a donkey talking. There's some things in the Bible that you just go, okay, the stories, those are a little outlandish. There's some nice things about the Bible. Those sound out, outlandish. But what, what does archaeology, what does physical evidence show us? We're going to talk with a man from Ark Discoveries who has some fascinating things that you're not seeing in your textbooks at at school. Kevin Fisher is with us, and Kevin, I'm delighted to have you join me today. I'm excited about some of the things that that you're going to be presenting, some of the actual physical things that you can look at, hold in your hand, and observe that can give us some insight into possible claims of the Bible. Thanks for joining me. It's great to be here, Michelle. Thank you. Let's dig into some of the archaeology. There's many things from the Red Sea to Noah's Ark to the Ark of the Covenant, evidence of Joseph that I would you say the last 40, 30 years has really come to light so much more than ever before. That's right. Ron Wyatt of Nashville, Tennessee, he's someone I ran into in 1984. And he had found the remains of Noah's Ark in Turkey. Today, it's a national park. He found the remains of Sodom and Gomorrah, complete with brimstone and so forth, along the Dead Sea in Israel. He found the Red Sea crossing, complete with chariot wheels in the water there. And he knew Mount Sinai was over in Saudi Arabia. Galatians 4 says Mount Sinai in Arabia. 
And then he also found the Ark of the Covenant in Israel in the garden tomb grounds. And so God was leading this gentleman to all of these incredible sites. And I've got some slides here I could share with you. Yeah, let's take uh, a look. If you are listening, yeah. you can go to mymichellelive.com and you can watch this as well. Now, Kevin, we're going to take a look at some of the archaeological discoveries that some have been widely talked about. Some have tried to be disputed. Kevin, go ahead and share with us what we're seeing here. Yes. Yeah, so these are some images of the five discoveries I'm speaking of. Noah's Ark is Red Sea crossing. The bottom left, the bottom right is the Mount Sinai over in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is up here in the top. And then the Ark of the Covenant here in the center. Now, can you see this is yes. Mount, Mount Sinai, Sinai in Arabia. This is the burn blackened peak over in Saudi Arabia. We were there in 2020. The top of it is burned because of God's presence there. It was on fire. And God spoke the Ten Commandments from atop that mountain. It's over here once again in Saudi Arabia. It's not in the traditional site. And the Red Sea crossing site is here at the Gulf of Aqaba before you reach, of course, Mount Sinai. And Jabal El Laz is the most likely site for Mount Sinai, according to Herschel Shanks, editor of the Biblical Archaeology Review. So that's a very important statement. Wow, that's beautiful scenery we're looking at. We're looking at uh, scenery of the the mountains and and desert. It's the split rock of Moses. Wow. Give us audio, a verbal uh, walkthrough of the things that we're seeing. Yeah, this is a golden calf altar with Mount Sinai in the background. That's a quick overview of the Mount Sinai area. This is the crossing site over in Egypt at, at Nueva. It's from here that crossed over into Saudi Arabia. Wow. Some beautiful footage of some beautiful part of the world. Now, Ron was looking uh, just a, an amateur archaeologist with a passion for finding sites of antiquity that would coincide with biblical accounts. Midian. Moses went for 40 years and God told them to come back to that mountain. That is clearly labeled Midian. Mount Sinai has to be in that area. We're told in, in Galatians 4, Mount Sinai in Arabia. Mount Sinai has to be in Saudi Arabia. There's an abundance of evidence there. What is it about the split rock that would indicate that that was the split rock yeah. that, the, that the Bible talks about? It's very unique. It's uh, five stories tall. It's on top of a 200-foot-tall hill. And inside this crack is a great amount of water erosion. Now, this is a place that gets one inch of rain a year, and yet there's an abundance of water erosion inside this 50-foot-tall crack. And so this is, again, evidence that uh, there was water spewing out. Also in the encampment area, there are inscriptions that appear to have been from the children of Israel. Mm -hmm. 
So this is the Rephidim, as they called it. That's where uh, they fought the Amalekites at that time. So abundance of evidence. There's also Elam, the oasis at Elam uh, that we saw in the video clip there. Kevin, talking about things like the Red Sea, the Israelites finding artifacts, are there other things to the Red Sea that our audience may not know about? There are the remains of chariot wheels, the coral-encrusted chariot wheels. This is at Nueva, Egypt. And also there at the beach is a 16-foot-tall red granite column that marks the location. This was erected 400 years after the event by Solomon. There is a matching column on the other side of the Gulf of Aqaba there in Saudi Arabia that had ancient Hebrew writing on it that mentioned uh, in Hebrew, death, Mizram, which means Egypt, Pharaoh, Yahweh, water, Moses. And so based upon that, it was concluded that these were, and also Solomon, so it was concluded that these were markers on either side of the Red Sea crossing marking the spot. Now, Solomon's seaport was just to the north 50 miles at modern-day Elat, Israel. And so he knew full well where the location was for the Red Sea crossing. And so those columns were put there at that spot. This is a distant location from Egypt, this crossing site. It's approximately 150 miles away. Philo tells us it was a long, desolate journey to get to the Red Sea crossing, and that it was having to go that far and so forth. And we are seeing your screen. We're seeing you, Ron Wyatt, the angel. Interesting story, Ron Wyatt. He had claimed encounters with possibly heavenly beings giving him insight into some of these archaeological finds. Yeah, so this is myself and Ron White in 1997. I first met him in 84 uh, in Nashville. But yeah, he did have multiple encounters with, with angels. For instance, there were eight that were looking like people that showed up one time in a blizzard in Kentucky and helped him move a car out of a snowbank. Another person was stuck in the snowbank. He encountered um, multiple angels in Israel during the Ark of the Covenant dig. He encountered four angels inside the cave with the Ark of the Covenant who lifted up the mercy seat. So anyway, this gentleman had a really special uh, connection with the Lord. This is the Ark site on the left here. There's a visitor center on the right. That's a beautiful picture. uh That is an incredible picture. I'm going to ask you something about the angelic encounters viewed his testimony talking about an encounter with someone that he thought looked like Jesus at the Ark of the Covenant dig site. It's an extraordinary stories. Even on his deathbed, he had a deathbed confession saying, yeah, this stuff really happened. It was, it was astounding. A rational mind says, okay, let's look at this and let's make sure that (laughs) that this is not just crazy ramblings of somebody who I was out in the desert heat too much. We have, we've seen 
with the Book of Mormon and some of the artifacts from Mormonism that is supposed to have come from angelic encounters. So it sounds strangely similar, and yet we do know that, sorry to my Mormon friends, a lot of these encounters do have facts that fall through, dates that don't line up, and things of that nature. How do we know that's not the case with Ron's find? With Ron, you can see that God worked with him in four different discoveries that are clearly visible. The Ark of the Covenant is not visible. It's in a cave right now. But you can see the Noah's Ark site that we'll go over here quickly. You can see that it's real. The government declared it a national park. Okay, so what you're saying is that when we're looking at some of the claims of angelic intervention for archaeological discoveries in the past, we have to take someone's word for it. What you're saying here is that you have, this is a different time in history where you can see in in real time by video what is going on. You can see that documentation. You can see him registering with differing countries that he's worked with and the, the the proof that he's been there the discoveries he found are real and how could one man find all these discoveries there would have to have been a heavenly connection one man could not have found noah's ark could not have found sodom and gomorrah red sea crossing mount sinai without heavenly assistance okay the man has a lot of credibility but here is here's the noah's ark site it's located in the mountains of Ararat, and Ararat is the name of ancient country of Urartu in, in yellow here. Ararat is ancient country Urartu. The ark was to come to rest in the mountains of our Urartu, and it did. And Brostus said there still some part of the ship in Armenia at the mountain of the Cordians, and that some people carry off pieces of the Batumi, which they take away, used chiefly as amunites for the averting of mischiefs. Back in 290 BC, people were going to Noah's Ark. Josephus said its remains are shown there by the inhabitants to this day. So it was in a location that was accessible. It's not up at 16,000 feet on Mount Ararat. It's across the valley in this mountain chain in the mountains of Urartu or Ararat. This is the first picture taken in the top left here by Gary Francis Powers' aerial survey of the area. And a Turkish army captain noticed this in an image. And in 1960, American group went out there, but they dismissed it. But here I'm standing in the valley there, Mount Ararat in the background. But here's the government road sign saying Noah's Ark, five kilometers up the mountain. And when you go up the mountain, you see the visitor center there that the government erected to commemorate the site. And this is an uh, image of the site. And that's quite, a, quite an times. image. If you're listening, you're looking at this valley with subtle hills, green, and then you see this structure. It's actually 515 feet. And that's the exact length as stated in the Bible. If you use 300 royal Egyptian cubits of 20.62 inches, it comes out to 515 feet. And that is the exact length of this. So the and Bible so does, you know, confirm so it, it is, has a boat shape to it. It has the rounded stern, pointed bow. It has rib timbers. You can see here in the foreground, rib timbers along the sides of it. 
which is consistent with an ancient wooden ship. They use rib timbers and they put horizontal strips over top of that. And Kevin, it's, it's uh also, it also, the shape of it is indicative of the exactness of what we see in the Bible. The Bible actually puts out exactly how the ark is to be shaped, the, the exact size and, and dimensions. It comes down to what we see a lot in any kind of science that would run in congruence with the Bible, that it, it comes down to a, I don't want to have to believe it. If this is a spiritual find. A lot of people they don't want to believe it because this involves judgment. The flood, Noah's Ark, well, God destroyed have to, the, all the wicked people on earth. Well, I have to deal with the God. Survive. So I'm having to be put in a place where I have to look at and take into consideration that maybe the Bible is true. Maybe there really is a God. What are we looking yeah. at here? Yeah, so this is Dr. Sally Barak-Chutin. He's there in uh, eastern Turkey. And we've spoken to him numerous times, but he says it's a man-made structure for sure. It's Noah's Ark. He's a geologist. The geologist knows what's natural, what's not. And he is a believer in the site there. This is a deck timber that Ron Wyatt got off the ark there. It is in multiple layers. He was able to show this on CNN and it has appearance of cypress wood and King James says uh, gopher wood, and some translations will actually say cypress wood mm -hmm. in the translation, but it had a high percentage of organic gar carbon, which is consistent with petrified wood. Now, Tubalcane was the structure of every artificer of brass and iron. And so this is a sample I found on the side of the ark. It contains aluminum metal and titanium metal. Those are man-made metals. So this tells us this site is a man-made site using high-tech technology. We got these alloys, aluminum, iron, uh, titanium, uh, magnesium metals. And this is a lab report showing the 8% aluminum metal, 1.59% titanium metal. So this site is definitely man-made. A friend of mine found this is a part of a nail there at the site, and I had that tested in a lab, and it also has some aluminum metal in it. This was the test result there. But now in a village about 15 miles oh, away the are the remains anchors. of the anchor stones that hung from the ark. Wow. They were tied by ropes, and it helped keep the front pointed to the waves. And this is Rod White standing beside it. Of course, I had to have my picture taken in the same place there, Mount Ararat in the background. Kevin, this, what well, did it feel like to be there? You're looking at something, uh, to you, you're looking at this saying, wow, this is like physical evidence of something I've been taught and read in the Bible. It just, what did that feel like? Yeah, yeah, it feels, it really feels special. And you're feeling that the Bible come alive. You were there, the place that the Bible speaks of. It's really incredible to go here to go to Mount Sinai, to go to Israel, and so forth. It's amazing. This so, is another sea anchor stone out in the field. Okay, so that's an that that's what you would say it is an anchor stone. Could it be anything else? Was that taken into consideration? Well, based upon the location, 
this is next to the village of Ait, it's called, the translation. So this is an area where the people lived after the flood. And so the location there, proximity, helps give it credibility well, that, it, yes, this it is It does, cool. but I'm trying to look at it objectively and say, okay, what else could it be if we're not assuming that it is a anchor stone from an, an anchor stone from Noah's Ark? If you were to look at this outside of the Ark encounter, what could it possibly? What else could it possibly be? The best um, conclusion would be it's connected. Uh, to the ark site because a lot of early christians came through here and inscribed crosses on these they were viewing it as holy objects Mm -hmm. so it has a long history of being connected to the ark the largest cross here represents noah the bottom left that's mrs noah the three smaller ones represent the three sons and the three smallest represent the wives of the son this is like the noah's ark story the people the eight crosses here uh, right here on a rock there in the village of Eight, Mount Ararat in the background. This is similar to what you find in, here's a Caesarea in Israel, and beside some small anchor stones that are used in the Mediterranean. Uh, okay, so that kind of answers my question to a degree. Those anchor stones that we were viewing near Ararat are very similar to these anchor stones it it's it would be the equivalent of find of me going up into the cascades and finding an anchor the the typical anchor that we're used to seeing with the with the spikes on either side me finding one of those and saying okay wow this looks like it's a boat anchor how do i know that because i've seen it other places so i'm tying that in for our audience who may not be followers of archaeology that you can see that's really a wow moment yeah yeah these are the drogue stones or sea anchor stones you see here on smaller ships and we see it related to Noah's Ark also. Of course, God was the designer of Noah's Ark. God had some good technology, some good ideas building the (laughs) ship. Indeed. Yeah, and what about Sodom and Gomorrah? Josephus said in the first century that they're still to be seen. The tradition says they're under the waters of the Dead Sea, and you can't see them. Josephus said in the first century, you can see them. Now, I want to point out for folks who don't know, Uh Josephus was not... A, he is a writer of the first century. Josephus was not a Christian. He wasn't someone who adhered to the Christian faith. Uh, so it's an he is an extra biblical, extra faith account yes. of some of the historical happenings that were in the Bible, confirming them not on purpose because he wasn't trying to confirm a Christian biblical account. He was a historian. Go ahead, Kevin. That's right. He was a Jewish uh, Roman historian, did a lot of writing at that time. But these are the locations of the five cities along the western side of the Dead Sea. They're light ashen areas you see here in this satellite image. They're stretched out north-south. This is to the south. This is what's thought to be Zoar, Mr. Wyatt thought. Again, you see the light ashen areas, man-made formations, 90-degree angles 
in these remains here, two columns with an archway in between. Here is a sphinx shape out at the edge of the city. It's sitting on top of the ashen area. All this area here is ash. Masada now is in the background on the right in this image. Okay. That's a popular site. So we're looking at, for those of you who are listening, these rock formations in an area thought to be Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah uh, city cities in the Bible destroyed. And we're assuming by a brimstone kind of a thing. It's actually extra pure sulfur, 98% pure sulfur. Okay, so these cities destroyed, people turned into pillars of salt. It seems like an outlandish story if you think that doesn't happen every day. But what we're seeing in this area is different than the surrounding area. It is indicative of sulfuric interaction. Yeah, it's the sulfur and God's fire. We're told God's fire is a consuming fire. So his fire consumed the limestone buildings here. And so the buildings have been turned into ash. Now, let's take another look here about Sinai. Moses went to Midian, we're told. He fled from Pharaoh and went to Midian. Again, Midian is here in Saudi Arabia. This is the Red Sea Crossing Beach at Nueva on the left, and they crossed over to Saudi Arabia. This is the beach at the Red Sea Crossing. It's five miles long, three miles deep. Very large area, plenty large for two or three million people to gather. Up here wow. at the top, that's where the column is, at the south end of the beach. I'm standing beside it there. And over to the left are the remaining chariot wheels out in the waters here at the Red Sea Crossing location. Josephus mentioned that there were a ridge of mountains that obstructed their flight, and that's exactly what happened. The mountains here come all the way to the water at the south end of the beach, and they could not go anywhere else. And you're is, standing next to a pillar. What is mm-hmm. this pillar, it, and how tall is that? Yeah, this is a 16-foot-tall red granite column that Solomon erected to commemorate the site. There was a matching column on the other shore in Saudi Arabia, uh-huh. Ron White found in 1985 and showed it to authorities there. They consequently cut it down and removed it in Saudi Arabia. They don't want that um, type of marker in their country. It's got Hebrew writing on it indicating you know, this is the correct location. There you again, go, Sol- people. Don't uh-huh. feel bad in America. Cancel culture is not just here. It's, it's been everywhere. around a long time, hasn't it, Michelle? Kevin, it's astounding, and the I, I guess the moral to a lot of what we're talking about today is when you see archaeological evidence after evidence of something correlating what we've read in the Bible, it is maybe enough as you're watching or viewing or reading that you might consider taking the Bible seriously. You might consider that there is accuracy and truth interwoven in there. When we can see Kevin in the Bible, uh, 
that through thousands of years and literally thousands of translations, when you look back to, well, another archaeological find, the Dead Sea Scrolls, 98% accuracy. And where you see inaccuracy in that 2% over thousands of years, really, it has to do with spelling and maybe slight changes to things like names, nothing as far as content or meaning has been changed. That to me, it says that's, as you have mentioned in this interview, divine intervention. That's uncanny. It is a book like no other. That's right. God has protected it to be a witness to mankind. He wants people to have the Bible because the Bible is speaking God's words. God influenced these prophets to write what he wanted them to write. And so the Bible is God speaking to us, and he has lovingly preserved that for mankind. It's incredible. And I would even say lovingly preserved some of these archaeological finds for us to find in a time where we can picture it, document it, videotape it, and even spread it. I find that really amazing. We're out of time today, but I'm wondering if you could come back and do a part two of more of the discoveries that are out there because we've just skimmed the surface, Kevin. Sure. I would love that. Kevin, where can we find a lot of this information? Sure. My website's arcdiscovery.com. You can go there. My friends of mine, it's anchorstone.com. So various websites you can check out. There are YouTube videos. If you type in Ron Wyatt Discoveries, for instance, or Noah's Ark Discovery, you'll see many videos on these topics. It's amazing. A lot of people are picking up on it. A lot of people are excited about the discoveries that God has brought out. Outstanding. You can find links at mymichellelive.com where you can like this, share this. This is an important part of the God story. About every episode, we entreat you, check your worldview. If things just don't line up with reality, if there's hypocrisy in your worldview, or Archaeology doesn't line up. History, you might want to check your worldview. Dig a little bit deeper because finding the truth, well, the truth, my friend, will set you free. Kevin Fisher has been our guest today, and I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate it. And thank you for being part of the My Michelle Live Story, The God Story. For more fun, go to MyMichelleLive.com.